perhaps the six weeks before the race, perhaps there we speak about time goals. But in the end, the first, the, the first two goals is one goal is the best performance possible. And the second goal is to win the race. And then if we achieve these two goals, perhaps the third one that will be perhaps in the media or whatever, a new time record or whatever can happen. That was Dan Loring, coach of the 2019 Ironman World Champions, Jan Ferdino and Ann Hogg. And this is his story on the Pacing Racing Podcast. everyone welcome back and welcome to the first time listeners my name is steven langhausen and i'm the host of the pace racing podcast we have a really exciting episode here on the challenge roth road to roth podcast series which includes a great interview with jan Ferdino, ann hogg and sarah true's coach dan loring so for the first time listeners a little bit of a backstory here with the road to roth series at the beginning of august i announced i'll be doing my first full distance triathlon down at challenge roth in 2020 and since then i found a lot of listeners were actually on a similar path whether it was for roth or another race but they too were on that crazy journey to their first full distance triathlon and looking forward to hearing content specific to the full distance. Now, of course, never having actually done this distance before, I figured that everyone would benefit the most in a series where we interview top pro triathletes and coaches that will be able to help us with a ton of training tips specific to the full distance, as well as give us that motivation and insight we need to help maximize our performances come race day. Now, motivation and inspiration seems endless in this interview today with Dan as he describes how he met and coached Ann Hogg when she just started getting into triathlon and how Jan came to him while he was an ITU athlete asking if he could coach him to transition into Ironman with the ambitious goal to win the Ironman World Championships. Now, Dan also talks to us about what is ahead here for Jan and Ann as they prepare for Challenge Roth 2020. For a little insight on his roles in coaching, aside from coaching two world champs, he's also the head of innovation for the pro German cycling team, Bora Hansgraf, and coach of Sarah True, and a former coach of German Triathlon Federation. So he comes to us with many, many years of wisdom and a never-ending list of accolades and leaves us with some excellent tips for age groupers looking to train for long-distance triathlons. This was an awesome podcast, and I hope you leave with some insight on how the best in the world train, think, and prepare for races like Challenge Roth and Kona. So now, sit back. Take notes and enjoy the show. The sponsor of today's podcast is brought to you by Quintana Roo Triathlon Bikes. I'm absolutely ecstatic and humbled to be working alongside Quintana Roo as they have the best lineup of triathlon bikes and products out there on the market. And to be riding a Quintana Roo bike is honestly a dream come true. Now, Quintana Roo actually started making triathlon bikes all the way back in 1989 and have since created the nicest looking designs and the most top performing features I've seen. And after a ton of research, I went with the PR5, seeing as I'll be doing my first full distance triathlon at Challenge Roth this summer. So I want to make sure I was equipped with the best bike and the best gear. And I can't wait to show this bike off. So currently right now I'm working alongside JP at Brown Sports on a bike fit video, which is going to be awesome because for those who don't know about that shop, they sell and do bike fits on QR bikes all the time. So you can stay tuned for that by simply subscribing to the Pace Racing YouTube channel. And another reason I went with Quintana Roo bikes were that when you ride with QR, you essentially become family. Now at any Ironman or USA triathlon event that QR is attending, you can bring your QR bike to the booth and they'll do a free checkup and tune up, which is super, super cool because it takes the worry out of your racing and traveling. The bike also comes with lifetime warranties. So when you look at the 2019 Kona bike list, you can see why they had over 120 Quintana Roo bikes there. 
They're absolutely a great brand to ride with, and the bikes are well-suited for challenging courses like Kona. And another neat fact, when you order from Quintana Roo, all the bikes are pulled, painted, and built for each customer order that comes through the door, so much so that they fall within the NAFTA guidelines, and Canadian customers don't actually get hit with any duty on any QR products when they're shipped to Canada. So I think that's pretty neat if you're living here in Canada. I mean, as you can hear, of course, I'm a big fan of not only their bikes, but also their brand and service in general. So stay tuned because you'll be seeing lots of the PR5 across social media. So be sure to be subscribed to all platforms. And again, if you want to learn more about Quintana Roo, then of course, you can simply find them by searching them on Facebook or Instagram by searching Quintana Roo or head to www.quintanarootry.com. And again, Quintana Roo is spelt Q-U-I-N-T-A-N-A-R-O-O. The second sponsor of today's show is 51 Speed Shop, and this is a company that is making huge headway in the triathlon industry. The key difference between 51 Speed Shop and their competitors is that they don't just take the fit first approach in their development, they are the fitters and are actually very well known for being some of the best fitters out there, and I truly think their products they design could be some of the best products out there when it comes to a blend of aerodynamics, comfort, and performance. So between 80 to 90% of the overall resistance affecting the rider comes from aerodynamic drag. Therefore, if we can reduce the drag, the rider can maintain a higher velocity for the same given efforts. And when we buy a triathlon bike, we're actually buying speed. Now, the tri-bike allows a rider to hold a position on the bike in an attempt to decrease aerodynamic drag. However, that number one thing that impacts a rider's ability to increase their speed is not aerodynamics. In fact, it's comfort. Now, comfort is measured as our ability to sustain your position for the duration of your race. And if you're unable to hold your position because you're uncomfortable then nothing else really matters. And that's why 51 Speed Shop has created a variety of aerobar extensions to meet the demands of all types of riders. For example, if you like your wrist in neutral positions with higher hand height when holding the bars, then you can look at the Ski Carbon Extensions, which is used by riders like Jake Burtwistle, Sam Appleton, and Jake Montgomery. Now, if you like neutral wrist with moderate hand height, then you can go with the FSM extensions like Heather Jackson or Tim Reed. Now, you also have the option of the Ultimate Carbon Extensions that offer high hand position while offering multiple rotational configurations, or you can even pair any of these extensions with the 51 Monorizer Aerobar system for maximal aerodynamics and comfort. I'm personally a big fan of this brand and their extensions. I'll definitely be throwing a pair on my PR5. Now, which ones? You'll have to stay tuned to find out which ones we'll be putting on through our bike fit video. Now, to find out more about 51 Speed Shop, you can actually check them out on Instagram or Facebook by searching 51 Speed Shop or you can simply check out all their products by going to their website at 51-speedshop.com. All right, Dan, what's up, man? How are you doing? Yeah, hello, Stephen. Uh, I'm fine. Thank you for inviting me here uh, in the chat. And uh, yeah, your year is starting, so new projects ahead. And I'm looking forward to 2020. Awesome. Yeah, exactly, right? And uh, of course, thanks for joining us today. And I think first off, before we get into everything here, let's start off by giving the listeners a background of what your roles are right now in coaching, uh, because you're coaching triathletes as well as a German pro cycling team, right? Yeah, that's true. So uh, my main job is um, to be um, head coach in the, the German cycling team, Boa Hans Grohe, and um, also being responsible for the innovations there. So that's that's the main job. And beside this, I um, have some triathlete uh, that I still coach, like Annie Hawk and Ian Frodino. So I have four to five athletes that I coach beside the, the Bora Hans Kohr cycling team. Yeah, so it's, I mean, talking about the, the athletes you're still coaching, uh, are, are you coaching Sarah True as well? Yeah, um, so Sarah True is um, also one of my uh, long-distance athletes. 
we started um, two years ago. And um, yeah, I know her a little bit from the time from short distance when I worked as a German national coach in short distance triathlon. And we, yeah, we always had some nice chats at, at racing. And two years ago, she contacted me to, um, yeah, to hear about the possibilities if I have still some some space for 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 athletes to coach to coach. And I always liked her personality, how she is, how she, uh, yeah, the talks that we had also how she deal with high professional sports. And that's why it was and is a big pleasure still to coach her. It's amazing. We had her on the podcast and she spoke really highly of her, her new recent coach. So it's, it's now awesome that we're talking to you and kind of hearing your side of things. So we'll get into uh, talking about Sarah Trude in a little bit here, but and I kind of want to touch base first because I find it's really cool to see that this all went full circle for you because now you're coaching both cycling and triathlon. But to go back in the early days, I guess when you were cycling and studying sports science in Munich, that's where you originally met Ann Hogg, right? Yeah, that's, that's true. So we, um, we started together the sports science studies in Munich. And um, she started there with triathlon, so started to, to train by it on her own and to do some competitions. And I started to get more involved in this scientific sports science stuff. And I was always convinced that to be a good coach, you need a lot of practice. So really working with people. And I asked her if she wants to, um, to, to, to test it and that we work together. And that was the beginning of a, yeah, of a quite nice story. And um, yeah, so with with her success and with uh, with her uh, steps that she, she went up from local events to European Cups to World Cups to yeah uh, WTS races, I was I was also growing as a coach. So I make make the same step with her, and um, that's why it's a, it's a nice story now to to get with her together the the World Championship title in Kona. Yeah, so so sounds like you've always been working with Anne for years now, of course. And now, has winning the Ironman World Championships was that a part of a long term plan, or did this sort of grow organically as she evolved as an athlete? Or when did you guys set out for this goal? So after the Olympics 2016, um, which were really disappointed um, because uh, she didn't get the result that she was looking for, uh, she needs some kind of new motivation. She ran a marathon, I think, ten weeks after the Olympics. And then she was looking for a new motivation. First of all, first she wanted to try again for on a short distance for some years. But um, I think in the winter of 2017, she contacted me and she said, "Okay, um, she she wants to go for for long distance triathlon, and if I still wanted to coach her also on that distance, and for sure for me it was quite uh, it was quite normal to continue the coaching and to say, yeah, for sure I I want to continue uh, to support you in your career." And then we made um, a two to three year plan. So we say, okay, we didn't know how she will perform in long distance because in the past she was not a really big fan of long distance triathlon. She said she could never imagine to do an Ironman. So uh, from the mental, but also from the uh, physiology side, we were not sure if this project will come to a good end. And that's why we say, okay, let's just let's start with middle distance triathlon and then build it up over two years to see um, if your body is able to um, to get to the highest level because she want, didn't want to do a long-distance triathlon just to do it, but she always told me, if I do it, I want to be one of the best. And um, that's what that was our approach. So we, 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 we fixed the plan, the two-year plan, and in the end, not everything worked uh, 100% because uh, perhaps the listeners know 
there was also some kind of injury on, the, on that way. But in the end, the world title is, uh, is the result of, uh, of this planning over the two or three years. Exactly right. No, it's amazing to hear that story and to see how far Anne's come and that uh, both you two have been working together literally since you guys have both started. Uh, I think that's a really neat story. And talking about jumping from the ITU up to Ironman, I know another crazy story and point in your coaching career, of course, was back in 2012 with Jan Fidano and when he was still competing in the ITU and he came to you with that ambitious goal. And uh, can you tell the listeners about that story some more? Yeah, that was... Uh... 2012 in December. Um, so it started. So I first saw him in a swimming pool. So in the Olympic Center in Saarbrücken, where the German Federation, Tribal Federation, has their, their main center in that time. And he came to the pool and he wanted to join the training, but he was sick. And yeah, we have never met before. Uh, so I just told him, hey, Jan, you are sick. So the best is now you take your clothes or you take your stuff and you go home. Uh, until you are uh, healthy again because it makes absolutely no sense to jump in here being sick and he was i think a little bit or quite impressed that uh, somebody unknown like me tells like uh, or speak to him like this to an olympic champion and um that's why he um, yeah but he, he went home so uh, and the day after he came to my office in the evening and um, asked me basically two questions one question was uh, if I could imagine to coach him because he was looking for something new, for a new input, uh, some, yeah, some new ideas. And the second question was um, if, and I should know this, if I coach him or if I will coach him, he, he wants to go on long distance triathlon and he wants to win Hawaii. And um, I don't know why even until today, but immediately after, so there was just one or two seconds uh, where there was, no sound in the room. I just say, yes, I want to do it. And uh, we will win Hawaii 2015. And um, yeah, so that also impressed him, I think. And that was the starting point of, uh, of our <laughs> work relationship. But I can also tell you when he left the room, I had some kind of uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, heart breathings and a lot of thoughts. And that night I didn't sleep so well because yeah, you take a lot of responsibility there, and but in the end, it was the right decision. And uh, I was also convinced that we can can come to these goals. But I had a lot of respect in front of this task. It, one thing I find it's so fascinating to hear the confidence from. I mean, both these two athletes here to be just so determined to set out for those challenging goals and then follow through them and, and achieve them. It's absolutely incredible. Now, like, what have you noticed that is a different? with their mindsets of Anne and Jan that separate them from like everyone else? Are they, are they born champions? Or are they just made for triathlon or are they the type of people that could achieve anything, whatever they want to put their minds to? I think one part of it, you, you have to have it already from, um, you know, like you said, you, you are perhaps not born as a champion, but you get already a lot during perhaps your childhood during your time when you grew up. So there you get already a lot. But um, I think as an athlete, you have to develop yourself. So when we take, uh, for example, Annie, she, she made really the career from being just a an, an hobby athlete to coming, becoming a world-class athlete. And that is not only by doing some different training or more training, but also the way to see high-performance sport, what you have to do for it, perhaps also what you have to sacrifice for it. She went through different stations, for sure. I was a coach for a long time, but uh, she was also, for example, two years with uh, with Darren Smith, who is also a really famous coach who, 
who teach also a lot of about what it means to um, to be a, a high performance athlete. And um, so her personality grow over years, and uh, that is something what I see uh, with with nearly all the athletes that year by year the, the really successful athletes they not only grow in terms of performance but they also grow in terms of personality in terms of they know that they are self-responsible for their performance that it's not about looking for excuses or, or putting the the pressure to some other people but it's about yourself you have to deal with it you are you are responsible for your career and this mindset really helps you to um to be one of the best in the world so i think it's something you have to have from the beginning, but also a lot of things you can develop during your career. And then what is really important is it's not just for you because if you if you are successful, in most of the cases, you have a team around you. You have people around you who help you to come there. And you, you need also a little bit to, to give to these people the, um, the impression or to give them or to, to show them that you are convinced that the team can achieve big goals, not just competing, but that you can really win races, that you can be on the podium, that you can be one of the best, because this is a big motivation for everybody involved uh, uh, in the project. And that is also, in my in my opinion, a task that the athlete has to show this, to show this self-confidence, to show this motivation and to show the belief in the project, because this motivates, like I said, everybody else. And that is something what any can do uh, really good but and also Jan with him I have I experienced this the first time yeah in a really strong race so that it's like in the, it's in the, like a cycling team when you have a captain that you think he can win the race it's completely different motivation for the whole team than if you just have a captain where you know okay perhaps you are going for the tenth place or the for the fifteenth place it's it's different and um, that's something what I observe with with all these high performance athletes that they bring this or that they develop this during their career right. And I mean, talking about Jan there, let's talk about Jan and Kona here for a minute, because we just mentioned not too long ago that, of course, you guys both set out for that goal for him to win Kona 2015. And much like clockwork, that happened, which I think is amazing. But uh, and then he won again in 2016. But in 2017, 2018, he had some setbacks with injuries. So for you as a coach, how did you reanalyze your tactics to help Jan build up and set a new Kona record in 2019 with that confidence he had when he did it, right? Um, so in, um, in in this year, especially in 2018, we had uh, really good performances already in the races. So he was uh, the really we, we saw that we made a jump from 270 to 218. So he was in a really good shape. Then we had uh, the injury after the 70.3 worlds, what was yeah really really bad and a big disappointment. Um, but then we were together on in Kona 2018, sit together with, with his manager, with Felix, and we sit on the table and we say, okay, we know that Jan can win this, this race again. With the performance he showed 2018, we know that he can win it also, or that he can win it 2019. And we have to do everything right now for one year, full focus on this goal. And uh, we even signed a, some kind of document where we say, okay, we go all in to make it happen. And then from this day on, the project started and had his uh, happy finish now 2019 with the third win. Jan Show never doubts that he can win again, Kona, because he saw from the performance side it can work because he had the best numbers ever. Um, but for sure, from the kind of, you always look deep, deep into what, 
what went wrong? Why did he have this kind of injuries? Did we do something wrong in training? Did we have too much workload? Was there something else? And for sure, we tried to avoid this in 2019. But it was not that we had the kind of big mistakes in 2018, because when we look at the workload, it was not more workload than the year before. We have enough recovery between. But it were some small pieces that came together there, perhaps not listening perfectly to the body, perhaps wanting too much at a specific point. So it were more small things than one big thing. And perhaps we uh, took more attention in 2019 to the small things. And that was the reason to uh, to achieve the goal in the end. But from performance-wise, there were never, never doubts that it's possible to win again, Kona. And that's thing, I think that is quite important. If you see that your performance level is not at this not at the point where you think that you can win it, then it's quite hard to bring the motivation and to really believe uh, in that you can do it once again. Excellent. So as most people have probably heard by now, both Jan and Anne are tackling Challenge Roth this year, which is super, super cool. And of course, super cool for me too, because I'm doing my first full long distance triathlon this year down at Roth. So, I mean, without giving away any race tactics planned for them, have you sat down with both these athletes and determined plan for this race? I mean, of course, is it safe to say that they're going to be striving for course records or what's their focus when they think about Roth this year? So we haven't sit together to um, to speak about the tactics. So first of all, the, the first goal will be to deliver the best performance possible. So I think that's um, what we always have in mind uh, as a as a big goal. So to when you come to the finish line, to say, okay, that's that was my best performance possible at that time, and that is what we will try with any and and with Jan. Uh, when we look at the whole season, for sure, we have to say, okay, when do when do we want to peak? And for sure, road will be a one peak. Uh, perhaps the six weeks before the race, perhaps there we speak about time goals. But in the end, the first, the, the first two goals is one goal is the best performance possible. And the second goal is to win the race. And then if we achieve these two goals, perhaps the third one that will be perhaps in the media or whatever, a new time record or whatever can happen or will, uh, yeah, can happen. But uh, I think it makes no big sense to focus too much on times because, you know, the weather can be bad, the wind or whatever. And um, so that's why I don't really like this uh, this time goals. So the two goals are really best performance possible and winning the race. And then we will see if if we achieve this, perhaps the third thing will come with it. And now when we look at 2016, when he won that at Challenge Roth originally and made the new Iron Distance World Record, uh, when he raced Roth for the first time, uh, what did you guys both think about the course, uh, the, the venue and all that kind of stuff? Okay, what we did is we, we planned to make a really offensive race. So really um, not waiting for something or making some tactic plays, but Jan knows where his limits in, in terms of performance uh, were. So, for example, how much what he can, he can push and perhaps also how fast he can run. And um, so to be really offensive, so to have the possibility to have a good time in the end. But even there, we talk about the main goals. The main goal were winning the race and have a really good one. So bringing out um, on the course what was in him, uh, what we saw in training. And that was it. And in the end, it was a, a new race record. It, uh, it's a fantastic atmosphere there. It's uh, a lot of, yeah. Also the days before, uh, Jan had really good uh, experience at this race with really fanatic people and uh, yeah, so much people who, are, who love the sport. So it was a really special event for him there. Um, but in the end, the world record was just a product of the other goals. But it was—it is never in, in 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 a training session to say, okay, now you have to run 
uh, five seconds faster because otherwise you will not break the record. No, it was right. We always try to, when we go to a competition, it's always to bring out the best, best possible performance at that point. Perfect. Yeah, no, that's good. That makes a lot of sense. And so being there, of course, at Challenge Roth in the past and then having two of your athletes racing there again, I think it's safe to say you, you probably know the course quite quite familiar anyway and how it'll work for certain athletes. And now looking at it from an age group perspective, do you have any tips for athletes doing Challenge Roth this year? Is there anything that they should know about with the swim or the bike or the run or anything like that? I think an, an easy but a really valuable uh, advice is just to not get crazy the first time when you pass the, the, the hill. So where you have a lot of people, uh, they, they scream to you, they are really crazy. And a lot of athletes, they just overpace there. So they go up that hill and they just go over their limit. And you know on long distance, when you just do this for some minutes, it could, uh, uh, in the end, it could lead to a, yeah, a much slower time than you expected or that you that you had in your um, possibility. So really, first time in the first, uh, on the first loop, be smart, uh, be more conservative, absorb, <laughs> absorb the spectators, but not getting crazy about it. And then yeah, in the second time, it's a little bit different. But even there, it's, uh, there's a big temptation to just overdo it because, like I said, so many spectators on the road and they just push you or want to push you and you will feel it in the run after. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no, that's good advice too. Yeah, not not burning uh, any matches going up Silverberg Hill. I think that's going to be something yeah. that we all have to remember. So <laughs> no, good stuff. And I mean, let's talk about Sarah True now. Now we had Sarah on the podcast a few months back and we talked about her struggles with blacking out. And notably, we could think about what happened of course, in Ironman Frankfurt last year. And as a coach, I guess, what's your thoughts on this? Like, what is what is happening in the body for this kind of to happen? And what is it like a, an athlete like Sarah able to do in training to overcome this and prevent this from happening? Um, yeah, so uh, I was there in Frankfurt, so I saw what happened and it was a really um, weird moment. So something you will w- never want to see as an spectator, as an athlete, as a coach. So it was... It really was so the picture were really for a long time in, in my head. And um, yeah, what happened there, I think uh, we saw it. So Sarah struggled or her body struggled uh, with the heat, perhaps the dehydration, um, just uh, overheating. And um, the, the, the good thing is, uh, in the end, when you have medical, the, when you have the medicals there, you get a really fast support. So uh, you have people around there and generally. So it's n- never a situation where your life is in danger. That's uh, I think that's quite important to to tell people. High performance athletes they are really well trained. Their body is able to to support a lot. So even this situation there was never so the life was never in danger. I think that is uh, quite important. But for sure, if you have an event like this, and she had uh, nearly the same event some uh, some weeks before in, in Cairns during that Ironman where she felt uh, quite uh, quite bad. It um, leaves some 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 traces uh, in your head, so in your mind. So you you will always remember. Okay, what happens there? Will it happen again to me? Uh, can I do a competition in the heat? Um, the heat was extreme in Frankfurt, but when we uh, remember the year before, it was also hot in Frankfurt, and there she she had a really good Ironman. She was second. Um, so we had we were convinced that the heat itself is not not the problem that she can deal with heat heat if everything is working well and if everything is uh, going in a good direction. So we also prepared in the training. So it was a little surprised that 
the heat hits her so so hard there and uh, it was also 1k to go see so she was close to win the race and then um, 1k to go she uh, she collapsed so there was a lot of um, mental stuff going on from that point until Kona and perhaps even now after Kona um, that you have to deal with it you can you can train heat in in training you can prepare you for the heat you can develop nutrition strat- strat- strategies but uh, you can can be sure we did this and still it, it happened and that's why um, we uh, we have or Sarah had also some other medical um, checkups to find out what could be a reason for this so to be really really be sure that sure that when she's doing another competition 2020 that we know where it comes from and that it will hopefully never happen again so the biggest damage in my opinion is what happens quite mentally there and it's also a big achievement um, from Sarah to say okay I still want this challenge I will go to 2020 and uh, I will show that my performance level is still so good to be one of the best in the world so that's what we now try to to build up during the next week the next month to to have this uh, and really to never come to this um, to this experience again but uh, until now, nobody really can tell you that was the reason. For sure, the reason at the end was some kind of coming a lot of stuff together, too high body temperature, dehydration, perhaps not waiting um, long enough at the at the aid stations, perhaps not taking too much fluid, perhaps too much salt. Uh, so there were a lot of different reasons that can le- uh, lead to this, but there was never an explanation that says, okay, that was the reason. And that's why um, we are careful with it and hope to to do it better now 2020 yeah that's right eh? and i mean we're all hoping for the best for sarah in 2020 she's a stellar stellar athlete and you know to see the challenges she overcame and still look forward to a, a good positive 2020 i think that's really inspiring for a lot of athletes to see yeah because she's a like we said top-notch athlete and just and hopefully all the best for that so i mean thanks for chatting about all that and now i want to talk to you now about some training specifics i guess here uh, what do you like your athletes to find? Like, how do you like them to find their pace in a race? Like, do you, do you get them to base their pacing off of perceived effort or is it a mix of heart rate zones or power zones or kind of how, how does this all work for you and your athletes? So in general, uh, before the race, you are doing some quite, yeah, some race specific intervals in the run or on the bike or on the swim. So, you know, uh, a little bit what, what can be the race, um, the, the race pace um, at, at that date. So the athletes always get a range. When we take, for example, the bike, they get a range how many watts they can can push, um, but the range is perhaps around uh, 10 to 20 watts big, or even when we have a hilly course, the range is even bigger because on the climb, you push a little bit more, the decent left, so there you have bigger ranges, but there they have a range of, um, um, of intensity, what we think would be the best for their performance level and for that course. If the course is not only flat but more hilly, we also develop some kind of um, pacing strategy. So um, just to give them some advices about when should you push harder, when should you go, should you not invest so much um, so much power, how is the wind in that day? So that is something that could play a role in the tactics. Or like in Kona, when we look at, okay, where are the points where you can perhaps even attack the pack if you feel well, so where are the, the, the points where you can use your strengths against your opponents? So um, that is the information the athletes get and also the heart rate. So I 
So do, there's a range of watts and there's also a range for the heart rate. With this information, you see, yeah, let's go into the competition. But then, um, I think you also know this, it's, it depends a lot on, on daily performance. So it could be that you go on the bike and that you do your first 10K and that you feel really bad and that you're just not able to, to be at the highest level of, the, of this zone, but you, you are at the lowest level. So um, that's why the body feeling is uh, still a really, really good and important performance um, pacer. So in advance of the competition, you should always have some kind of calibration between your body feeling and the, the real data. So uh, in the end, the race, my athletes go to the race, they go on feeling, but their feeling is corresponding to the zones. But it's not that they're sticking all the time to their power meters. It depends a little bit from athlete to athlete. Some go really on feeling or just on feeling, like, like any, any she's an athlete who really, she goes really on feeling. And she just had the power meter with her to sometimes to control and to uh, save the data for me so that I know what's, what happened. <laughs> Um, but for herself, she's going really on feeling. With Jan, it's a big, it's a good mixture between feeling and data. Um, with Sarah, for example, when she did the, the second place in, in Frankfurt, she really follow exactly the pace. So there we had a good example of when you're just following numbers, that it also can work really well. Um, so that's how it works from the num numbers and feelings. And then it depends on the athletes how much or how much, yeah, how much you use. And I, for every athlete, I try to make an individual plan. That doesn't mean does not mean that um, that the, the strategy is completely different. But how I how I approach the strategy to to the athletes, I cannot tell any go at two hundred twenty watts or two hundred or hundred eighty or whatever. But I tell her it should feel like this. It should feel like that. And if this happens, then it should feel in this way. And that's why with this she can. She can better use these informations as to her, okay, my heart rate has to be at 150 or 140 or my watts had to be there or my running speed should be there. So that's that's how we approach it. Okay. No, perfect. That, that's great. And actually just kind of piggybacking off that answer there. Now, when we talk about for an Ironman, for an age grouper, the feeling, how you should feel, I guess, per se, for coming off the bike and going into the run, I think that's a very common question now should you how should an athlete be expecting to feel i mean especially when you talk about first ironmans I, I think it's safe to say no matter what pace you go you're gonna be pretty tired off the bike or kind of what's your thoughts on how an athlete should feel when they make that transition into the, the marathon so i think a, a good thing is for sure you feel a strange feeling coming from 180k on the bike going to the run a strange feeling from the motoric side so the first uh, two three k's they feel a little bit strange but from the intensity side, you should never be feel that you are some kind of a limit. You should always feel that, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm now, um, I have now a good running pace. I can imagine that I can keep this pace for a long, long time. So you should never really struggle. So you should always have the feeling that you have to take you back. That's uh, even when you talk to um, to uh, to any or to Jan, it's always like this. They have to to keep in mind, okay, I have to reduce the speed a little bit. I have to reduce the speed a little bit. So it's never that they feel, okay, we are at the limit. So if you feel that you are at the limit, for sure you are too fast. So you come to the limit around 30, 35K, so somewhere there during the marathon, but then it's not the limit your cardiovascular system. The limit is more sometimes the muscles, that you just feel the muscle pain and that the muscles come to, the, to their limit. But from the cardiovascular system, it's, it's just not possible to do a competition always at the limit because you will run out of energy. Even if you consume a lot of it, 
you will just burn too much carbs if, if you have that feeling. So it should always feel like an, a run a run pace that you can maintain for a long time. And um, it's better for sure than in the end to have some, some bullets left and perhaps on the last 5K say, hey, I'm still in a good shape. I can still run a little bit faster than to invest too early in the race. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice. Yeah, because I think a, a lot of age groupers are almost afraid to go too easy because they don't want to leave anything on the table by the end of the race because ultimately they want their best time. But I think a lot of people then experience burnout near the end of the race. So uh, that's some great advice on that. And I mean, before we kind of get into the full age group train tips section here, I just kind of want to ask one more thing back to the pros. Uh, When we talk about the ITU series where a lot of the athletes might have to change their game plan based off who's around them, right? They're all racing so close together that sometimes it becomes a mind a mind game of trying to keep up with the next person or not letting them pass and things like that. So when we look at Ironman, it doesn't happen as much, I'd say maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, be just because there's a lot more distance between some athletes. But when we look at last year in particular, we saw with Sebastian Keenley and Jan Ferdino in Frankfurt. And then we also see when Anne took over Sarah Crowley, Lucy Charles in Kona. Now, what kind of strategy comes into play from your coaching perspective that you tell them when it comes to those moments where they have to make that decision of, are they going to overtake someone and use a little bit more energy or kind of what are your thoughts around that whole uh, mindset? So sometimes we talk about this. So for example, uh, the um, classic situation is you talk about, okay, you are on the bike, perhaps somebody who doesn't swim so fast come from the back. Do you follow him on the bike or not? How should he feel? Also on the run, should you just follow? Should you overtake? But it's not that we go through all these situations because um, my philosophy is that we bring the athletes to the start line with every, so the best performance shape possible with, so that they have in the race every possibility. So they, in the end, have to take a decision in the race. They know their performance zone. They know what they are able for. And then they have to decide in the race, okay, should I close the gap fast or not? Should I stay behind? Should I just pass? This is not something... You can talk about it, but um, if you talk about too much situation, in the end, it will come completely different. So we just talk about if you are in a situation that you dictate the race, so that you lead the race or that you want to put the point on the race by attacking or by making it fast or, or just following, this is something you talk in advance, but not what happens if you are now behind this and this guy. Um, that is something um, you should have all the possibilities by being at a good performance level and then the athletes they have a lot of experience that they can take the right decision and then in the end um if we when we analyze the race there is never a, a bad decision it's just you took that decision you tried it that way and it worked out or not and then as a coach you just try to explain okay you did this and that's what happened it was perhaps a good result in some cases perhaps it was not the best result possible, but in this situation, you saw that it may, might be the best decision. So it was a good decision. That's it's never that I would say, okay, you take, take took a wrong decision and it was bad what you did. No, it took the decision. There was a reason for this. You felt that you did the right thing, and now I can just show you from the physiologist's point of view that perhaps it was too much or too less um, to get the best performance out of you. Excellent. No, that that's good stuff. Let's talk about the age group training tips now for an Ironman. I mean, already understanding, of course, that every athlete will be at different areas in their training at different training levels, but to try and draw some generic starting points for, for athletes listening, 
Can you explain how the structure of the training plan should look like? Because I know in the past you've spoken on cycling through a series of tech, you know, stages involving technique stage, strength endurance stages, and then more race specific stages, uh, and then throwing in some 7.3 races in there as well. Right. So can you kind of go over that a little bit? Yeah, um, exactly. It's just what, what you mentioned. So, uh, in, in our training philosophy, what we are doing is we are using the beginning of the season when you are quite fresh to work, uh, and generally on the, on the VO2 max. So in some short intervals, some short efforts. And on the other side, the rest of the training is quite really easy. So, um, that's, um, yeah, uh, when you, when you go deep into the theory, it's some kind of uh, polarized training, what we start with. And then, um, the next step is that we are working more on the, on the strength endurance. So the specific strength endurance in the bike, in the run, in the swim. And, um, that, uh, and then the third part is really to working on the eco- economization, working on, on race pace, uh, in the different spots. It's not that we do this until the first competition, but we are working in blocks, depending a little bit on the athletes. So it could be that, that these three things, the VO2 max, the strength endurance and the, the race preparation, that this is a period of, of 12 weeks, of 16 weeks, and then we repeat the circle, but just there we shorten the different periods so that you get different stimuli all over the year. So it's not that you're just doing one thing just one time a year, but you repeat it. And then it depends on on the strengths and the weak weak point of the athlete. If you have an athlete who is struggling with a low, really low VO two max for sure, perhaps you have to invest a little bit more time on that. Or if you have an athlete who have a quite strong anaerobic system, what could be at some point not so helpful for the long distance. For sure, you are working on some kind of transformation from the anaerobic system to the aerobic system to to lower the lactate building rate. So there, it depends a little bit. On the athletes, but in general, we have this this structure. So when you are fresh, you are working more on short intensity. And a good thing with the short intensity is also that you prepare really well um, the long long uh, efforts. For example, the long race efforts. When when you do, for example, in the run, you do 100, 200 meter, 300 meter runs. You are working with a good good technique with a high speed. And from this on, you can also have a good transfer to longer intervals for sure perhaps with a slower speed but you can take this good technique and bring it to a longer distance that's and that's the same for also the the other disciplines so um some athletes they were working then with training camps for, for sure in the training camps volume has a has a bigger um has a bigger point so there we are working more on really try to bring up volume to working on this um uh, aerobic capacity over the volume side because when we when we look for example at vo2 max we know there are two ways to train the vo2 max and you need both ways one way with this short high intensity stuff and the other way with with volume and you need both ways to get the highest vo2 max possible so um that's why um, also volume plays a role but it depends really on the on the time period when we are using which kind of of training methods and I'm not a fan of saying this training training method is the best or this one is is not working. It's really individual when you have when you use which kind of of training method. Perfect, excellent. No, I think that clarifies a lot of it for a lot of listeners on how to generally structure a good plan and kind of how to change it throughout the year. So, so that's really good. And I mean, when it comes to tapering for an age group, we're leading up to an race like Ironman or a race like Challenge Roth. How long should they be looking out before they have to start? to taper and can you kind of explain the process of of what the taper is for and and what it's like 
So in, in general, the tapering is, um, so you, you train, you, you have some continuously training, and then with the tapering, you try to, um, to recover your system, especially the, the muscles, because the muscles, they need more time to recover than the cardiovascular system. And like I described uh, some minutes before, when you are on the run uh, and you have really tired muscles, it could be the limiting factor that you, are, you would be able to run faster, but the muscles just don't allow it to you. So that's why one goal of the tapering is to really yeah, get fresh, get fresh muscles, get recover muscles. For sure, also um, have the possibility to refuel your carbohydrate stores, so to come to the start line with really fuel, uh, fueled um, energy tanks. So, so in the end, we really recovering, refreshing um, your body, but, and there it comes to individuality, not losing too much of the, econ of the economization. Because if you now say, okay, I need a lot of recovery, I just start, stopped training two weeks before the Ironman, um, it could happen that you are really fresh at the start line, but when you start the competition, your body's work doesn't work economically. It's, it's work, it's, it, it burns a lot of energy in the first, already during the swim, because it loses, it loses this uh, economical um, yeah, way of working or way of, um, of, of performing. And that's why it's about finding a balance between keeping the body moving and recovering. There, I know there are some strategies about working with some high-intensity uh, boots, uh, or some high-intensity uh, sessions in this tapering, um, I must say for Ironman, especially for age groupers, I don't like this. So I would just go these two weeks in front of an Ironman, just go perhaps to Ironman speed, probably going to 70.3 speed in, in these sessions. For sure, you can do some, some short progressions or some, yeah, just some technical work, but not working with uh, some kind of high uh, intervals uh, or high intensity intervals in the race week or two weeks in front of the race, because I think that uh, has no big benefits for, for Ironman. So really focusing, refreshing, and then try to, um, to perform in race intensity and to work on the uh, economization before the race. Right. Perfect. And I'm glad you kind of touched base on a lot of that. Now, one of the big things I think that people struggle with is the concept of understanding the difference between their their anaerobic basis and their aerobic basis. And I mean, a perfect example, we can look at Jan when you guys jump from the ITU and moving up to Ironman distance. So I know there's basically a, maybe different energy sources and, and training requirements or something like that. So, I mean, can you sort of explain if someone is to jump, say, maybe not from ITU, but say if they're doing sprints or Olympics as an early on age grouper that want to go long distance, um, and they might not have that aerobic foundation really set, how should they sort of prepare themselves to, is it just simply working on more longer volume days at lower speeds? Is that kind of the best way to approach that? Or what are your thoughts? And it's, it's a good question, but it's uh, not so easy to answer because <laughs> first of all, um, if I don't know the athlete, it's always good to have some kind of, let me call it performance diagnostic. So to know how, how it really it is. So how big is the aerobic system? Or what is the capacity of the aerobic system? What is the capacity of the anaerobic system? So from there on, you can really plan and say, okay, that's, that could be our, pro our approach. But in general, you get better in your aerobic system. For sure, you can go on volume. But on the other side, your aerobic system, so also your VO2, gets better with these short, short intervals. 
And then uh, now comes the third thing. In general, there's a theory that says, okay, don't train too much in this kind of mixed metabolism. So in this kind, not easy and not hard. But when your anaerobic system, so your lactate building rate is too high, then training in this mixed metabolism is quite good or working on strength endurance in this mixed metabolism is quite helpful. But with other people, for example, where the anaerobic system is not so high, it makes no big sense to train really in, in this. That's why what I said before, it's not good to say, okay, this training method is good or bad. It really depends on, on the starting point. But uh, the example you described coming from uh, ITU or coming from a short distance, so, uh, but even on short distance, you need a really good aerobic system. So if you have a two-hour race, even there, the aerobic power is quite important. But I agree that these athletes still have more anaerobic power, uh, um, higher anaerobic capacity. For sure, there could be a, a way to do it to work on, on volume or to work specifically on this mixed zone with some strength efforts. That could be a, a key. But I would never say that this is the key for everyone. We should really look in detail at the beginning, okay, which physiology do we have in front of us and which are now the tools that we can use to, to change it. Excellent. No, I think that's a really good way of explaining that too. And one of the last questions I'd like to ask, and maybe this can relate to techniques used with Jan, and or Sarah here, but when it comes to planning an A-race, for example, Challenge Roth, uh, do you like to implement visualization strategies in training to help them prepare mentally for a race day? Or do you have any tips in general for age groupers on mentally preparing for a race that uh, we can implement? Mm-hmm. So. I think you have, when you're training for long distance, you often have the situations in a race that, um, or in a race, in training, you are, for example, you are on a long ride. There are, there are days where it doesn't feel really well, so you don't feel so good. And there already you have to find strategies how to deal with it. When you have a four-hour ride and you feel already after two hours that uh, from the mental side, you are a little bit exhausted and you say, okay, but um, I have to do it. Now, there are situations where you should go home. I agree. But also there are other situations where you just have to go through it, where you have just to, to do this four hours. And there you can already develop strategies how to do it. In general, it's good to think about feelings. So how will it? How, how will I feel when I go over the finish line in, in Kona or when I achieve my goal? Or how did I feel last time when I had a good experience in my sport. So try to bring your feelings up. So it's not it's not about something rational, about ah, if I do four hours, I will be good at the Ironman. Yes, okay, perhaps. But it's more about try to, get, to create some emotional motivation inside of yourself and finding, this, uh, finding these events or finding these moments, perhaps in your past or imagine in the future how it will be, and this is something that you can always use when, when you are struggling, when you're struggling in a competition. Or on the other side, sometimes you hear from athletes that for sure at some points there is some pain and it's and you cannot do nothing against it. You just have to try to deal with it. It's it's easy to say, but to find a way how to deal with it, that it's it's part of it, it's part of, 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 of the project. These emotions are just at that point, they are some kind of, of normal and you know for what you are doing it. So it's always you have to find strategies um, that helps you with your emotions to overcome this kind of, of bad feelings. Like any, for example, she said when she's in a competition, she's able just to completely switch off her head. So there, when you ask her what did she, which thoughts did she have during the competition, she even doesn't know it for, the, for most of the time. 
because she was able to just turn it off and just being in that state of having just nothing in the head, I probably like that, just uh, going through the competition and just letting the body um, bring out for what she has trained for the last uh, weeks, months, or perhaps even years. That is not something that you can, can achieve by just by one week, but this is something you, you, can, or you can train in your normal training. When you, when you struggle, you always have to decide, is it some struggle that, is, that makes sense? So what I mean, is it after, in a, uh, after two hours, should I go home? Or is it really that point that makes the difference now? For sure, it's good when you have a coach to discuss this a little bit, but when you are on your own, it should not be every session like this. Not every four-hour ride should be uh, some kind of uh, uh, or some kind of a hell, but there are sessions when you are tired and it's part of the plan, and these sessions you automatically use to um, build up also your, your mental side. These are no, no really easy um Easy advices for sure. You can also work with uh, sport psychologists. You can work with different books, uh, with different apps to train this, the, the mental endurance. So to train this, but in the end, a long distance I, uh, Ironman athlete is doing this during his normal training because he's training nearly every day. He has this kind of long sessions. He has to find strategies to be motivated nearly all the time. Right. No, I love that. That's awesome. I think that's some really solid advice. And I know a lot of ITU athletes, so we've had some recent ITU uh, pro triathletes on the show here, and they've talked about having sports psychologists and, and really having a key, you know, mindset is everything when it comes to racing. So I think that's really cool. And hopefully some listeners can implement that new strategy if they're, they're not doing that already. So perfect. And of course, I'd like to end off this podcast with a question from the listeners. And today, of course, we have a question here from Lucas from Australia. So let's play into that. Hey, Dan. I noticed by the time that I got off the bike in a half Ironman that I've got hardly anything left in my legs for the run. What's my advice on how to properly pace in the bike so I can still have a solid run after jumping off my bike? Yeah, I, I hear the question. So um, there are two or three points now. So first of all, I have to, before going to the race, I have to be quite sure about what is my performance level on the bike. So what is really the, the, the pacing area that I can go we, uh, where I still using a lot of fat oxidation, where I still not using all my carbs um, during this 180k, because often the problem is not the run itself. The problem is just that you overdo it on the bike, and overdo must not be must not be that you um, blow completely up, but overdo just means that you need too much energy on the bike that makes it quite hard for you um, to to have a proper run. So this is the first thing: just checking really the intensity that you are doing during the races and if this intensity fits to the data you have fits to the zone where your coach or yourself uh, planned to do the um, to have the race pace so that's first thing then for sure uh, second thing is really to keep an eye on on good uh, nutrition so good hydration and good um, also good um, energy intake so really um, have a good plan for um, for regular intake of uh, especially carbohydrates and then a third thing is when you come to the last, uh, let me call last 20 Ks, just also to keep an eye on your cadence. So not because when you get tired, often you come to a state where you're just pushing two big gears and two big gears means that you hurt a little bit more your muscles. And if you hurt your muscles, it could be a problem for, for the run. So that's why I always um, give the advice for age groupers when you come to the last 20 Ks, just keep an eye on your canes. You don't have to go up now crazy high. So it's not that when you go always at 80 that you now should uh, 
uh, right at, uh, at 100. No, but try to stay at, let me say, 80 or 85, where you have your usual cadence, and keep an eye that you not go too low with it, so that the muscle, that the, that the, the strain on the muscle is not, the workload for the muscle is not too high, because the cardiovascular system, what I told some, some minutes before, should never be at the limit. So you always should have some kind of space from your cardiovascular system, because if you go a little bit up with the cadence, um, you, cardio, you will see, okay, the heart rate will go up perhaps one beat or two beats, so the cardiovascular system is a little bit, it's, it's more demanding for this one, but you can recover better your muscles before the run. And the last one for sure, sometimes you should also train it, so just simulate it in training, but there should really be careful because there's uh, also a big risk of injury if you go too much on transition runs, especially after long bike bike rides, but for sure you should also train it to have a, a good transition from, from the bike position uh, to the run. It's not like in the short distance there, it has much more importance, but uh, sometimes it should be part of your of your training plan. But like I said, a good a good um, good um, pacing during the bike is is the main key and good uh, nutrition strategy. Perfect. I think that's excellent. You definitely answered that really well. So uh, thanks a lot, Dan. I appreciate it. I think that's an excellent spot to sort of wrap things up here. And for any listeners who kind of like to follow your journey here, where's the best place they can follow you? Uh, do you have Instagram, website, things like that? or? Um, I have some, yeah, I have an, a private Instagram account uh, where you can find me under my under my name, or just following the, for example, the website of our Borahan Score team. There we post sometimes news what is going on. Um, but from my personal life uh, on Instagram, sometimes I post what is going on and try to share this uh, with the people outside. Awesome. Well, we really look forward to watching how 2020 season pans out for you here and as well as your athletes. And the pleasure has been all mine chatting with you today. And uh, thanks a lot. And hopefully I'll see you down at Challenge Roth. Yeah. Thank you very much, Stephen. All the best for your preparation too. And yeah, hopefully to see you then here in Bavaria in, in Ross. Perfect. Take care. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap with Coach Dan Loring. And thanks so much for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, among others, and please take a minute to open your Apple Podcasts app on your iPhone search pacing racing and click the podcast be sure to click subscribe and then scroll down to the bottom and leave us a quick review that takes less than a minute but goes a long way in helping me out so to all who do that thanks so much it's greatly greatly appreciated and other than that guys happy training and if you want to train with me on zwift then drop me a follow by searching steven langhausen and yes it's both exactly how it sounds other than that guys take care chat soon cheers (laughs) 